life has a lot of different tests that measure different things about us, about you, about me. Some tests are simple and fairly meaningless in our lives. Others are more meaningful and have a far greater impact than others. I remember in middle school band, uh, we part, were part of a concert band. I was, I played trumpet, not nearly as well as Ryan Hubberman, but I, I did my best in those days. Uh, we're part of a concert band, we had a marching band, and uh, every so often we would have a test where we would come in and play uh, and competed for first chair of our instrument group. And uh, my arch nemesis during those years was a young lady named Stacy. She had a cornet, and I had a regular trumpet, and we would go back and forth exchanging first and second chair along the way. That was a a simple test back then. And we know athletes, if you're an athlete or grew up as one, you know that there are always tests and tryouts and evaluations of strength and speed and uh, capacity and ability. Uh, I remember as a kid growing up loving to watch the old Saturday morning cartoon uh, of Batman and his friends. And one one of the Batman uh, episodes, I've shared this before, so you may know the answer, uh, but he, he had a test of wits with uh, one of his villains. And uh, uh, I want, as I'm going to share the riddle with you that he was asked, uh, I want to ask you if you're watching live on Sunday morning, you can go ahead and write in the answer. Uh, but wait till the end of the riddle, <laughs> just in case you already know it or you remember hearing it from me before. But here is the riddle What can uh, build castles yet tear down mountains? What can make you blind? and yet help you see. So if you know the answer, it's one word. If you know the answer, go ahead and write it in the uh, comment section on the, the platform there. Perhaps you've guessed it. It is sand. Sand is made to build castles. The erosion of sand also tears down mountains. Sand, when it gets in your eyes, it, it prevents you from seeing. And, of course, sand is used in eyeglasses and, and other things that help us see. Kind of a silly test, right? A test of wits. But there are tests in life that get more serious and have a lot more uh, ramifications for us. Uh, Things like work promotions. Our church is so blessed to be able to partner with the Southern Rent Fire District. And every so often throughout the year, they will come and use our building for their tests of promotion and evaluating where uh, the, the firefighters are and their progression and preparedness to advance in uh, in that line of work. Uh, life will be filled at times with different experiences of fidelity, testing, of faith in you, in your life. You know, Jesus was tested as well. His identity in, in Matthew chapter 3, his very identity had been Established at his baptism. You remember he, he was baptized immediately as he came up out of the water. Uh, the heavens were, were rendered open and a voice comes down saying, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the, the spirit descends and alights on him like a dove, the Bible says. And now he is tested in the sense of an alignment. Is he going to be in alignment with the purpose for which he came? And would the reality of who Jesus is in his core identity, would that be proven by what he would choose to do? The actions that he would take and demonstrate, how would they reflect on his own sense of identity? You see, God will test our faith through life's challenges. And you might ask, well, what in the world does testing do? Testing 
is that which reveals something about us. That's why a teacher's school will test you. It will reveal the amount of knowledge, perhaps, that you've been able to acquire, or at work you, you might be tested at a certain skill level, maybe timing or whatever it might be. Uh, it reveals what is true when God tests you. It reveals what is true about your inner world, about your inner life. Now, I want to be clear that God does not tempt, but God does test. And there are times that God certainly does allow temptation to come into our lives. And as we open it in a moment to Matthew chapter 4, I invite you, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out this morning. And open them to Matthew chapter 4. Because here we see at the beginning, of uh, right after Jesus' baptism, he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness in order to be tempted by the devil. So God uses this temptation and, and, and works around it into a, a demonstration and an affirmation of who Jesus is. We see today how temptation stirs deep places within us. And we learn, most importantly, how Jesus resisted temptation. He overcame temptation and how we can learn to do that as well. I'm so happy that Christina Clark will come just now, and she will read our passage, uh, Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 through verse 11. She's going to read it in English, and then also in her native tongue, Portuguese. Let's be blessed by the hearing of God's Word. Thank you, Christina, for sharing that with us this morning, this day. Jesus, in this passage, he shows us the key to overcoming temptation. And that key is trusting in His Father, trusting in the Father and the character of God, trusting in that and trusting in the Scripture. Trusting in the character of God the Father and trusting in the reliability of the Scripture. If you, brother and sister, can hold those two realities deep and firmly in your heart, then it will sustain you throughout any trial or any test of your life. It will sustain you in the midst of temptation as you trust the character of God and as you trust in the truthfulness of Scripture. You see Jesus in verse 4 and 7 and 10, He, he shows us that he, he received well and deeply the Scriptures and He had committed them to memory and He was able to recite them in the moment of this Temptation. He was able to refute when Scripture was twisted in a way that was not intended to be read and understood. And at the end of this time, we see that he is rewarded uh, in the presence of his Father. You see, your trust in God is built over time as you experience life with him. There are three temptations that make up this passage, and I'm going to walk through each of them and hear as best we can, what it is that Jesus was experiencing, and, and then also hear what God would want to say to us through it. The first temptation comes something like this. After all of these days of fasting, and there's great hunger for Jesus, uh, he is tempted by Satan who comes to him and says, uh, If you're the Son of God, command these stones, say to these stones, that they should now become bread and cure your hunger. So there, there's a big question being asked in this temptation, a question of identity for Jesus, and a question that really uh, resounds with us uh, as well. And here's the question, is God holding out on me? 
Is God holding out on me? Is there something that God should be providing my life, and yet he is withholding it from me out of stinginess, out of a lack of love? Is that what God is about in, in my life? And Jesus, as we see, he has real hunger, and he has real power. He could have done this if he chose to do it, but yet Jesus, would he chose not to simply be a wonder worker. He chose not to just simply turn the spotlight on the things that he could miraculously do uh, to, to use his power to meet his own needs. That would be self-serving, and it would be defeating of the very purpose that he came to accomplish. That purpose was to go to a cross, to pay the penalty of sin, and to rise again from the dead, and to prepare a place for us. You see, Jesus... He responds to this temptation that out of his hunger, that he, he, he should, uh, if he struggled with the sense that the God, his Father, was, was withholding something from him, that he might be tempted now to use his own power to serve his own need of hunger in that moment. But his response is one of Scripture. His response is, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is drawn out of Deuteronomy chapter 8. And there we, we, we hear a, a retelling of sorts of uh, God's journey with the, the Israelites after captivity in Egypt. And he leads them through the wilderness. God has been so faithful. God has given them everything that they need. He's withheld nothing that, that would help them to grow and grow in their relationship with him and their ability to trust God. He's withheld nothing. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8 it says this. The Bible says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. You see, Jesus is connecting us to this passage of Deuteronomy to remind us that God is not withholding that which God intends for you and me to know and to experience that which we need uh, for our spiritual growth and our development of life. God will provide... Everything for your journey of where he will guide you. You see, where God guides, he will provide all that you need. But the devil, Satan wants you to think that God is holding out on you. Have you ever felt that way? You've come to a hard point of your life. Or you look around at what other people are experiencing and what they may have in possessions or jobs or whatever it is. And, and you wonder, where's mine? Is God holding out on me? I don't have this relationship, or I don't have uh, whatever this might be. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, you remember the, the temptation of the garden. When Adam and Eve were there, and God had given them instructions that they could eat from any tree in the garden except this, this, these particular ones. And Satan comes in Genesis 3, and he tempts Adam and Eve. And this is the question he asks. He says, did God really say... That you must not eat from any tree in the garden. You see, it is so easy for us to look around and to say, I don't have 
what I think I deserve, or what others seem to have, right? It's that grass is greener idea, right? We wrestle with that at different times. I assume what these other people have is making them happy, and I don't have it, and so I am unhappy. And so God must be withholding something that I deserve, something that I need. And Jesus is saying that is not the case because that is not the source of happiness. God and growing in the Lord is our source of happiness. We live in an age of decadence. Some writers are writing again about where there is a general impatience and insistence on my way and insistence on getting what I want and getting it right now. This is part of the age in which we live where nearly any physical or financial impulse is celebrated, even if it completely runs contrary to the will of God and the way of Jesus. Jesus reminds us to feed our soul. He reminds you today to pay attention to your soul, that you do not live on bread alone. You do not, your life is not sustained only with the things of the physical realm. Not that they are unimportant. They are important. But they are not ultimately important. God wants you and me to pay more attention to our soul. And spending time with Jesus. Spending time in His Word and with His people. This is one of our values as a church. Of lifelong growth. That we would spend time with Jesus in His Word, the Bible. And with one another to feed our soul in him. There's a second temptation that, that comes along. And the temptation from, the, from Satan to, to Jesus goes something like this. That, that God the Father will protect you, Jesus, if you force his hand. Right? He takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple. And I mean, it, it was massively tall from the ground. Uh, from the ground floor all the way up to the height of the temple building. And Satan says, throw yourself down because God will protect you. He will send his angels concerning you so that you might not dash your foot against the ground. You see, in essence, he is saying, why not prove one of God's promises? He has taken and distorted Psalm 91. He has misshaped Psalm 91. He has turned it into something it was not intended to be. And here's the big question out of this temptation is will I trust God? Will I trust God? Will you trust God in all seasons of your life? Whether you have a lot or a little, will you trust God? You see, Satan's temptation takes and it misshapes Scripture, and it misreads Scripture, and it misapplies Scripture. And part of the question for Jesus is, should he... Because he has power at his disposal, should he perform spectacular, yet pointless, miracles? That might be great showmanship, but it would totally set him off his course of providing salvation for people. He might be able to draw a crowd and really be impressive, but that would not be part of the central message and purpose for his life. You see, Satan's temptation in part is a misreading and a misshaping of the Bible to say what God did not intend it to say. In the 1980s and 90s, there was a ministry group uh, of, of really muscled men kind of in the Midwest and, 
they, they went around to different ministries, an evangelistic ministry. They uh, were trying to, to, to encourage people to Jesus. And part of my, my young 15, 16-year-old self, as I was just getting into weightlifting and uh, wanting to watch my muscles grow to help me in my athletic endeavors, and I, I saw these guys, and I, I wanted biceps like they had. I wanted a big chest like they had, uh, and, and they they were pretty impressive looking. They would stand on stage in these ministry settings, and they would take steel bars in their teeth, and they would bend them, and they would take phone books, and they would rip them, and they were performing these great feats of strength. They would even, at times, one of their most popular things was to take a hot water bottle. You know what those are? Have you ever used one? If you grew up in a cold climate, you do. It's, it's a rubber, rectangular-shaped bottle, usually, and you fill it with boiling water, and you put it in your bed to help warm your bed on a cold night. And they would take these hot water bottles, and they would begin to blow them up like a balloon until they would pop. And uh, it was crazy. But you know what, what they would often refer to in my, my teenage memory? They would refer to Philippians 4.13. And they, they would encourage the crowd. They would say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can bend this steel bar. I can blow up and explode this hot water bottle because God is giving me the strength to do it. And brother and sister, as we think about that particular passage, that, that is a total misshaping of that scripture. Because that scripture is written by Paul thanking people for their contribution to his ministry. And he's laying out a financial construct that it doesn't matter whether he has a lot or very little, he has learned the secret of contentment. That he can do all things through Christ who gives him strength. He can do all things and he can face all financial futures because he is content, not in the surroundings, not in the physical trappings of the world. He is content because his eyes are focused and fixed on Jesus and the calling of God in his life. It is not this misshaping of Scripture. That is what Satan will come to do as he would tempt us away from God. And Jesus' response is to quote Scripture and to use and to know Scripture and to apply it properly out of context into his life. He says, uh, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Right? That comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Bible says, fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test, as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight. So that it may go well with you, and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. You see, God may test us, but we are not to test God. And we are not to put Him to the test. We are to trust God, not test Him. You see, we humans tend to be masters of manipulation. We live... In a world and among people who are masters of manipulation. We become skilled at manipulating situations and manipulating other people. And we can become skilled at trying to manipulate God. 
trying to uh, force God's hand to do the thing I want rather than positioning myself to follow and do what God wants me to do, to do what God wants done, to trust God and to follow and to pursue His will of my life. You see, manipulation, I've discovered, occurs most often out of pain. I've been wounded and I'm hurt, and now I'm going to try to manipulate my situation or these relationships. Manipulation can flow out of fear. I I fear that which I don't know what is next. I'm uncertain about what is to come, and so instead of trusting God, I'll begin to manipulate, manufacture what should happen moving forward rather than waiting on God. Sometimes manipulation comes out of uh, an, an over an over hot desire to just simply be in control and not out of control. The world, you see, invites us to be empowered. The world invites us to, to take on a role of power that, that comes by flexing my influence over situations and over others and to shape them into my will and to shape them around my desires often without any thought about what God desires and what God's will is in these particular situations. God wants you to trust Him. God wants you to seek His will and to pursue it with all of your heart. God seeks faithful following, not people seeking to manipulate Him. So the question out of this temptation is, will I trust God? Will you trust God? Do you trust God? Can you in any and every situation continue to trust God and to not test God? The third and final temptation is stated something like this. Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I will then crown you king. Something like that. The big question here for you and for me is this. Who or what will I worship Who or what will I worship? You see, Satan offers Jesus an easy way, an easy way to become king. As the prince of this world, the Bible says, describes him in John 14, Satan is permitted by God to have a certain amount of control over its kingdoms. And according to Psalm 2, God had already promised these kingdoms to Jesus. But the way of the king, the way of the kingdom... And the way of the king, Jesus knows, is the cross. You see, in this temptation, Satan is trying to encourage and entice Jesus to bypass the suffering of the cross, to bypass what would happen there on the cross. Uh, But the Bible tells us that the Messiah comes as the suffering servant. Jesus knew that his purpose was to come to die on the cross. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed with such passion and intensity And he asks the Father if there's any way that this cup of your wrath, if there's any way that it can go past me and not through me, then may it be, but yet not my will, but your will be done. And so Jesus is being tempted to become king without the cross. And that would totally subvert his purpose for coming. It would totally Uh, eliminate your opportunity for salvation, my opportunity for salvation in Him. You see, you and I also, we enter the kingdom by taking up our cross and following Jesus.
Jesus. As Jesus comes to the kingdom, he is crowned king because of the cross and because of his work there. And you and I experience his salvation when we too recognize that he died there for us. He died for you. He died a death that you should have died. And before that, he had lived a life that you should have lived. Me too. But you see, that's where the great exchange happens is on the cross. Jesus went there for you to pay your penalty and to invite you into the life and love that he has. And you see, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus now opens the door to worshiping God in spirit and in truth. So the temptation to Jesus is, I'll crown you king, Jesus, if you just bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, no, no, I will not do that. Because the Bible says, the word says to worship the Lord your God and to serve him only. So the question for us today as we conclude is this. Who or what will I worship? You see, whatever we worship becomes the God, the God with the small g, the, the God that we serve. Whatever it is in your life that you allow the greatest sway over you becomes your God and your focal point of worship. Whatever demands the most and best of your time and attention can become for you an idol in your life. The thing that you hunger and thirst and pursue the most can become your idol today instead of worshiping only the living God. For some in our day today, in our world today, it is money. It is a, a worship of money, a centering and an idolatry of money. And we live for it and we obey it. For others, it's the affirmation of other people. That becomes the idol that we see. Is always constantly looking for other people to affirm me rather than letting the affirmation of what God has said and done, said about me and done for me in the cross of Jesus. Sometimes we can get so focused on our children that our children can become, in some ways, idols for us. Uh, our reputation. One of the things I'm learning in these days right now is how easily a sense of your own reputation can become an idol. And it can almost become its own God for you. And for me, as it becomes the, the centerpiece of my attention and, and the focal point of my energy rather than, than God itself, and we do so much to protect it and to build it up. And God, I believe, would want us to lay these idols down all throughout the Scripture. When idols are identified in our life, they are called to be destroyed so that we can focus on the reality of the living God in our life. That he is our centerpiece and that we are worshiping him and him only. We are called to delight and obey as we honor the living God. This is why one of our church values is wholehearted worship. Is to come and, and to respond to the love of God in a wholehearted way. That ultimately finds its expression in a lifestyle of worship. Where every day I am worshiping God. I gather Regularly with others like this to worship, but then I learn to worship God, to set Him before me every day, to let, be reminded that He is the centerpiece and the hunger of my life, and that only He will satisfy me in every way that I most desperately need. This is how Jesus overcomes temptation, you see. It's in trusting in the character of God the Father, and it's trusting in the truthfulness 
of the scriptures and carrying those realities with you into your full life at work, at school, into your retired life, into your preparing for the twilight of life, wherever you may be, whatever life stage you might find yourself in. It is learning to trust in the character of God and to trust in the scripture and letting the scripture now be vibrant and vital in you and through you out of your life. Let's pray together. Living God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to center ourselves around your, your Holy Bible and to hear your words and to see again the work of Jesus. And I marvel at Jesus and the way he responds in this moment. I marvel at how Jesus comes in this moment and, and, and the beauty of his responses, the wisdom, the, the clarity of his thought, the purity of his heart. God, though we are not Jesus, we want to be like him. And we want to trust in the character of you, God the Father. We want to trust in the reliability of the Scripture. We want to so be in tune with your word that we recognize when it's being misshapen and we're able to, to, to do right with it. We're able to divide rightly the word of God. So help us in that. And we pray that as we face testing in our lives, as we, we come face to face with the tempter, the one who would tempt us away from God, that you would give us strength and wisdom and you would help carry us through and overcome these things which would tie us down, tear us away from you, and tear us apart from each other. We pray, Jesus, now in your name and for your sake. Amen.